It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. underneath it, Butler underneath it, and turned in by Anderson, Doncaster had the lead back. And Mitrovic with his first touch, it's saved, and Alden will say, justice is done. Terrific spirit in this Oldham side. Two and a half minutes away from a replay at worst. In comes the cross. Look at the edge, it's in! What an upset this could be! Is there a time for a pumpy counter-attack? Donoghue sprinting down the left. He's got low ahead of him. Donoghue, here's the ball. Green, decent touch. Green, can he get the shot away? Andre Green, still Green! He's gone! Andre Green! In the 95th minute! He's won it for Pompey yet again! Green's the hero of the FA Cup! Welcome to the Bookie Bashing. Weekly Bashcast brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number two to the power of seven, Eden Hazardous Material. It is 3.48 in the afternoon on Thursday, January the 10th, 2019. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, we cover... An extraordinary weekend in what is now probably my favourite weekend of the year, the FA Cup third round. Eden Hazard picks up a double delight for Chelsea over the Christmas break. Plenty of value mugs to cover that have come in. And the NFL regular season comes to an end as we hit a big half-time, full-time 18-1 mug there. And a quick review of the Dart PDC World Championships. After the break, a prop bet between two poker players involving being locked in a bathroom. My wife Jen releases a blog about being married to the job. And a lottery ticket gets stolen in the United States of America. All of that and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. Happy New Year to everyone listening to the Bashcast and humanity as a whole. As we reach 2019 not out against the Gregorians with declaration postponed until after the summer, when we find out that Brexit is cancelled, a heatwave sticks two fingers up at the summer of 2018 and says, you ain't seen nothing yet, mate. Manchester City put nine past Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final in Madrid. Kyle Edmund beats Andy Murray in a Wimbledon final lasting 14 hours. 
Beef Johnson wins all four golf majors to become the undisputed champion of the world. Mick Foley's Mankind gets reinstated as WWE heavyweight champion of the world. England beats South Africa to win the World Cricket Cup on the 15th of July, a day that is subsequently announced as a public holiday, thereby forevermore, along with the rest of the week leading up to it and the rest of the month afterwards to recover. England then go on to whitewash Australia in the ashes and Scotland score a try in the 98th minute of the World Cup final against 11, cheating, disparaging all blacks to be crowned the Rugby World Cup champions, EU Ministers of Justice and Nobel Peace Prize winners, and a joint 66 million and 20,000 person tie is announced at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year as the entire country jointly wins the public vote and goes on a massive piss up. Apologies to any Andy Zaltzman fans out there for that blatant plagiarism. Um, Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you had a good break. I didn't mean to have three weeks off, but well, I knew I was going to have one week off and then I just couldn't, I just was enjoying the Christmas break. So I had two off and then I flew last week. So that was three weeks off. And whilst I'm like burnout is a real thing with the bash cast. I think I said last time when I got to episode 100, I needed a break. I had one week off and then did 27 episodes in a row. Um, but the thing is, when I don't do it, I miss it. So uh, I'm, when I'm not doing it, I miss it. It's got to the stage, this Bashcast. When I'm not doing it, I miss it. And when I am doing it, uh, it seems to just take up my... I have to assign the entire Thursday to it, from planning and preparation to recording and putting it together. But it is what it is. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I was just jotting down what I can talk about on my Christmas break. I, and weirdly, I... I don't want to come across as miserable because I really did enjoy spending time with my family and the Christmas break. But everything that I jotted down was incredibly negative for some reason. I've only just realised that now as I, as I look at it. I think that's because it's more fun to talk about miserable negative things. But first up, um, well, I have a Santa outfit for sale if anyone wants it. I think I'm going to save it for the bonfire actually in uh, November just to make sure that it's gone. I spoke last time about how I was recognised as Santa by my friend's children, which was heartbreaking. Well, I didn't think there would be any problem going down to my local gym and handing out presents to those children because they don't kind of know me. You know, one or two may have seen me, but they wouldn't know me well enough to recognise me. So that And Sasha wasn't there, so that'd be fine, wouldn't it? Well, I went down. Um, I filled the sack full of presents that the gym had got all of the children went out the back and they got into this sleigh that had been made in the gym so that they were waiting for Santa. And as I was outside, I slipped on the decking uh, and fell. I thought I fell on my back, but as it transpired, the sack of presents took the brunt of the force because when I went in and started handing out presents, these little boys and girls, we're talking like three, four, five-year-olds, they started opening the presents. And in the presents were photo frames of each of the kids at the gym and whilst the top few presents were okay as we got further into the bag essentially the kids were just opening up broken glass that's what santa had got you for your christmas children broken glass and um i started spilling it all over the floor where the kids were playing and it was so much of a disaster it compounded the disaster that was santa claus with my friend's children so vowing never to do santa claus ever again I continued with um, 
Christmas. I broke my hand over the Christmas break, saving Sasha's life as we both fell to the floor. And I thought, after a few glasses of wine, that I could spread my hand and take her entire weight on it. But now she's the age of three. That's not necessarily true. And so it was the right hand as well. So I'm learning what I cannot do with my left hand. That Things include opening jars, writing, driving, and anything that you might consider being useful whatsoever. Typing is particularly slow as well. Transcribing coupons into a computer is another example. Um, but what was even worse than breaking my hand is I have this in... September, I bought, when it came out, I got the new iPhone X, and I just bought it outright so that I can have low monthly fees. And this new iPhone X, this is the one that's meant to be almost indestructible, the glass. So it's like you could drop this a million times and you're not going to shatter the screen. And to be fair to them, I have dropped it a million times and not shattered the screen. What it can't withstand, though, is if you put it face up on the kitchen counter and then open the kitchen door... And a 750-gram full jar of peanut butter topples out. The, t- the, the jar fell about 18 inches straight onto the face of the iPhone with an almighty crash. The jar shattered everywhere. So whilst I kind of knew that I was going to have a cracked screen, I had to go through the post-mortem of firstly cleaning away the broken glass from the peanut butter jar and then scraping and cleaning peanut butter off my cracked screen before I could even figure out what the what the damage was. And um, I said, that's basically the same as just taking a hammer and hammering the face of your iPhone really, really hard with the hammer. It was indeed cracked and smashed. And I found that more traumatic than my broken hand, to tell you the truth. I don't know why. I have like nightmares in the night that my phone screen is cracked. You see people with cracked screens, your mates. You might have a mate that's got a mobile phone screen that's cracked. Don't trust them. Don't trust anybody over the age of 17 that has a cracked mobile phone screen because it's easy enough to get it fixed. But I've made the mistake of getting it fixed in these sort of I fix phone screens for you places before in the past and um, I've had nothing but problems doing that. Like you get it fixed at these guys and then... The phone starts flicking and you take it to him. I took it to him and I said, mate, this is obviously not right. And he said he would repair it again, but it would be at cost a second time. And forevermore after that, I had a, I had real problems with that iPhone 8. And I only actually got it fixed by one of these cowboys because I, uh, I dropped it and broke it right outside of their shop. And I, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking that I needed to go to an Apple store like I have done every other time. Sometimes the Apple store, they do it for free. And even if they don't do it for free, they do a good enough job and there's some sort of warranty. Anyway, I took my iPhone X there, having learned that lesson, £290 to replace the screen of an iPhone X. And that hurt. And even having made as much money as I did make on the weekend, and I'll come to that, the only thing I could think is that I'm £300 down on this iPhone screen. And that was way more painful than my broken hand and the inconvenience of having to do things with my left hand for the rest of the month. So that was my Christmas. <laughs> and that's what I wrote down. I actually enjoyed Christmas. <laughs> like I'm, is it just being 40 that when you try and recall things, you're just an absolute misery guts? What idiot dressed you in that outfit? You did. So let's start on Saturday. I'll take you through my day. Um, I'll take you through my day from half 1pm onwards 
Um, I went, I had tickets to Worcester Bath, which was 3 p.m. Um, logistically making life difficult for me because we've got these William Hill races that have been insane value recently. And I've sort of made a point of um, deciding to focus a lot of attention onto the William Hill races. They might not last forever. And, you know, when they're paying a million places with a million and one horses in the race, then sometimes it's just free money. Um, the The bad thing is you don't know which race it is and how good it's going to be until 7 p.m. on the Friday night, which is generally when they announce, you know, what they're offering concessions on. So I have tickets to Worcester Bath with my mate, but we don't know. I mean, I might be touring William Hills still halfway through the first half when the kickoff is 3 p.m. if the race is going to be 3.45, which isn't ideal. Anyway, we found out that the race is at 2.40 Wing Canton. Okay, that's pretty good because I can tour the William Hills until of Worcester until about half past two and then we can head over to the ground. The only thing is, it turned out to be not much value at all, this race. Um, they were offering five places, one to five odds, um, on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, on a 15-horse race, which is okay. Five places on a... um, It's about as thin as you would want it. I mean, ideally, we would want six places, 1 to 5, on a handicap, or five places, 1 to 4. When it's five places, 1 to 5, you need to be sniping great odds. And in the morning, um, Tedham, the favourite, was cut from 9 to 2 to 4 to 1 to 7 to 2 to 10 to 3 to 3 to 1. Just cut, 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 cut as they were managing their liability on him. I went down to the local William Hill to pick up Tedham and he'd been cut twice by the time leaving the house and going to get him. Uh, he was probably still valued down at 3 to 1, but it was just difficult to justify. But the problem with the race is that only a couple of the 15 horses were value. And so I had all this excitement of leading up to it and then had to sort of put the brakes on, couldn't focus on it properly. As it was, Tedham won the race, so if you went big on the favourite. And he was one of maybe a couple that were okay throughout the morning. Um, he, but it wasn't huge. I made 3-1 to one as about 124% value rating. Which, you know, you take a mug that was that good, it's slightly different this rating for horse racing. Um, basically, if he doesn't win, you're going to lose money. And he's not going to win once three three times out of um, four. So I wasn't very enthusiastic about it, but as it was, um, it turned out that if you did go big on the horses that were decent, which was Tedham and Tight Call at seven to one, who was also okay as well, then um, you would have turned a tasty profit because they came one, first and second. I changed my mind and said, okay, I'm not going to tour around Worcester before this game at Bath. I'm just going to pop into Betfred. Uh, I'm going to place. Uh, a coupon bet based on the coupon that was on the site and then I'm going to head over to the game the game was one of the most I've never seen a game of rugby end like that before in my entire life uh, Bath were 13 points up at half time 16 points up at half time when it was 19-3 um, they didn't win the match in fact the match ended 18 minutes into injury time in the 98th minute of the match. Worcester was set up on Bath's 22. And 
Bath just kept getting offside after offside after offside, and it was just madness. It was scrum after scrum after scrum. The yellow cards began to flash. Um, there were four players off the pitch by the end of the match in the 98th minute, and Worcester scored a try to win 21-19 after 20 minutes of extra time. Now, all the way through that, I was acutely aware the big things were happening in the FA Cup third round and also the National League as well. There was a lot of value around. Um, it was a combination of a couple of different things happening. Fred's traders were holding their prices despite you know Maidenhead being 9-2 to two and a 4.6 on the exchanges for like the whole day. This is Maidenhead of the National League. And also there were some big price contractions, which we do tend to see during FA Cup third round weekend. Certainly a lot more than a weekend, a weekday in the Champions League or where there's a lot of static prices. Smart money really comes in and shapes the FA Cup third round weekend when people start to figure out how much certain teams are interested in winning it and how they're setting up and so on and so forth. There are fewer upsets in the FA Cup these days. Squad depths are deeper, so teams um, can rotate and pitches are better and teams tend to take it more seriously. But regardless, there was a lot of smart money that was identifying um, that certain teams were overpriced. Uh, Portsmouth and Brighton being a couple of them. Maidenhead also of the National League. Those three alone um, on the, one of the coupons were 122 to 1 um, uh, on the coupon. A fair price would have been 79 and it was held. And it was held for hours. That's 155.7% equity. Um and I noticed when I was at the rugby that things were happening. Portsmouth won 1-0 against Norwich City, albeit they were playing against 10 men, but Green scored in the 94th minute to bring that one in. Maidenhead uh, beat Gateshead 1-0 in a relatively straightforward game, so the smart money got that right. Brighton 3, Bournemouth 1 um, was didn't seem to ever be in doubt, and the 122-1 to came in. But not only that, that sets up so many other big odds trebles if you've got a series of teams in the bet slip. One of the teams that was in every single bet slip is Ebbsfleet, and if we ever want to moan about being unlucky. We also need to remember, it's a fallacy thinking that we're unlucky, but I do want to look at how unlucky this game was. The reason it's a fallacy is, um, okay, this one didn't come in, but there was no... How many times has Portsmouth not come in when the guy scores in the 94th minute? It's Every time someone has a bet slip of 10 teams, I can't believe it, only one team lost and they were 1-3. to three. And had they won, then they should have won, then I would have won my bet slip. And what they're not thinking of, well... Actually, it's so much more likely that just one team is going to win, even if that team is as low as one to three, right? It's so much more likely that one team or two teams is going to let you down than it is everybody comes in. So just sort of looking at Ebbsfleet and saying we were unlucky certainly dismisses where we were lucky. Saying that... Get a load of this. Ebbsfleet United, who were value all day, so everyone was on them. 
They were 3-0 up at half-time. Game over against Chesterfield. Chesterfield got a consolation in the 64th. And then worryingly, they went 2-3 in the 83rd. In the 95th minute of the game, Evans for Chesterfield equalised against Ebbs Fleet United. Will Evans, the villain that he is. That should have been it. But in the 96th minute of the game... The Chesterfield goalkeeper got sent off and a penalty was awarded to Ebbsfleet United. And a defender of Chesterfield went into the goal and made a fingertip save to deny Ebbsfleet and make the game finish 3 all. That's about as much drama as is possible to have. I did actually calculate how much that game cost me and I shouldn't have. And it's not worthy of speaking about it. Because, of course, exactly as I was saying, I would be dismissing how fortunate I was elsewhere. But the real money came for me on the Sunday, which was crazy. I had two games, well, three games if you count Man City, but Man City were 1-10 to against um, Rotherham and they shot seven past them. By the way, they got how many goals did they get in two games? Man City, 16 goals in two games. Unbelievable. Um but that was really never in doubt. It was all about Doncaster, who were, albeit only 2-1 to one away to Preston North End. Um, and they won 3-1. So this bet slip that I picked up before I went uh, to the rugby, I went into Betfred. Um, having got an Uber down from mine. So we got an Uber to Betfred. The bet slip, which was the top seven teams... Um, was Bolton to draw, which they didn't. Ebbsfleet, who we've talked about. Portsmouth at four to one. Bromley at five to two. Maidenhead at nine to two. Doncaster at seven to two. All of those such big prices, but get this: Oldham at eleven to one was the last bet on the slip. Now Oldham were away to Fulham, and Fulham went one nil up, pretty much to kill the tie. Um, Oldham brought it back to one all. Then Mitrovic had a penalty, something like the 88th minute, and that should have won it. It was his first touch of the game. He came on to the pitch. He took the penalty. He missed it. Fulham went up the other end of the pitch, and uh, Oldham went up the other end of the pitch. They won the match 2-1, and that brought in £13,141.63 from that bet slip for me. Um, of course I didn't know that at the time that I placed it I then took an Uber to the ground I'm then like shopping each bar because I don't want to spend too much on beer because I'm an absolute skinflint and I've got all of the games buzzing on my Apple watch as I'm trying to watch the game so I I had a relative idea that something was happening but I'm not in front of the computer so I was just enjoying the rugby so it was good fun so then um, we went for a couple of drinks afterwards it was really the Sunday when it dawned on me, although we were still waiting for Doncaster, Manchester City and Oldham. By the way, where I was unlucky for Oldham, there was a, there was a tweet I saw. Um, it says, ah, ha, ha, my mate put a screenshot of his bet, which Fulham lost and Mitrovic replied, giving exactly zero fucks. So what's happened here with this guy is he's put on a silly accumulator. Um, 
They had, he had Fulham in there as well at two to seven, and it looks like um, along with Barcelona, Watford, and some others, and it looks like they all came in apart from Fulham. So he says um, at Alexander Mitrovic underscore forty five. Thanks very much. Only £855 for missing that penalty. Well, so that's not technically true because Oldham then went up the pitch and scored. So even if he'd got it, Fulham wouldn't have won the match um, because it would have been a two-all draw. But anyway, uh, he says this. uh, And then one minute later, 60 seconds later, Alexander Mitrovic pops pops up and says, uh, no problem, mate. Thumbs up. (laughs) No problem, mate. Thumbs up, fist emoticon, um, and wavy hand emoticon. And um, <laughs> the tweeter replies, goes, no, mate. I mean, I lost out on £855. And Mitrovic goes, yep, I know. Thumbs up. <laughs> like, he literally gives zero fucks. Well, thank you very much. Anyway, you brought in um, part of what ended up being a... Um, twenty-seven thousand pound profit weekend on the coupons for me, which um, all right, okay. So I think I've discussed before the importance of not setting temporal goals, right? Um, one of the worst things you can do is say I want to make ten pounds a day, or fifty pounds a day, or a hundred pounds a day, because not every day is equal um there are days that are very busy and there are days that are not so busy and even so all we're doing is we're collecting equity and this is quite high variance the strategy of betting on these uh the smart money as well and it means we'll have a lot of losing runs losing run losing run losing run losing run and then we'll have a really good weekend like we've just had um Saying all of that, I'm completely going to contradict it and say what a nice way it is to start 2019 like that because, you know, I do this full time and when I hit the end of 2018, I uh, I say, okay, that's my profit for 2018. And if I hit a losing run in late December, and I think I did as well, I did hit a losing run in late December, I've I've got the entire year's profits to lose and, you know, it's fine. Yet at the beginning of January, if I go on a losing run at the beginning of January, which is perfectly normal, I turn around sort of a few weeks into January and I go, God, 2019, I'm just losing and losing. I've got nothing. Well, now I've had a really good weekend. I sort of create this buffer zone for for the rest of the year where I shouldn't go on a losing run that is so vicious that I'm now negative. I should be in positive for the rest of the year if that makes sense. So the silly thing about making these temporal, time-based um, decisions and objectives, um, it's nonsense. But saying that, I'm not going to deny that it's good to get off 2019 off to a great start. Someone said, by the way, the other day, someone said, someone signed up to Boogie Bashing and had a look around and disappeared. And one of the negative bits of feedback that, they gave to me is that there is no daily calendar offers to be doing and i said what daily calendar offers and they said well other sites um, incidentally i care very little about what other sites are doing in fact my entire objective is to be providing unique content on boogie bashing and i don't you know the other sites can clone and copy themselves as much as they want um but the other sites they provide guidance on how to make money every day with daily calendar offers well, great, good for them. 
here's some things you won't find on Boogie Bashing. One, daily calendar offers. Why? Because let oh, the Saturdays over Christmas, there was so much going on. If you weren't focused on those Saturdays, then you were losing out on equity. I can't go and find you equity on a quiet Monday or Tuesday in January when nothing is on. I could open my email and find an email-only £10 reload casino offer, and I could post that on the forum saying, I've got that email. I'm not quite sure how much use that is to anybody because it's a, you know, it's an invite-only offer. I've never understood the the reasons behind people's posting, I've got an invite-only offer, here it is. Because I haven't got it. If you're reminding me to check my email, I'm perfectly able of checking my own email, thank you very much, right? So I don't understand posting invite-only stuff. And if there is bet £10 to get 10 free spins, 10 pence a spin, that's great. Yes, it exists. Yes, it's EV. No, I'm not interested in it. You technically are getting EV out of things like this, but I'm not getting enough EV out of them to make a full-time living, right? Of 10 free spins, a 10p a spin. If I had 100 accounts, and I don't have 100 accounts, perhaps adding up all of the equity of all of these incredibly small offers that could go into a daily calendar would provide me with a full-time living, perhaps. But that's not the way I want to do things. And I certainly don't think it's future-proof doing that because technology is improving at a rate that anyone thinks that they can just sweep up all of the low-value um, equity with 100 accounts. The days will be numbered. It's also not a particularly satisfying way, I don't think, of living your life, just logging in and out of virtual machines and doing 10 free spins on whatever and whatever. I mean, I'm not going to judge you if you do do that, right? Perhaps you are a carer at home and this is a way of supplementing an income. And if it is, great for you. It's not for me and it's not the kind of thing I want to promote in bookie bashing. It doesn't mean that it's not a viable way of making money if that's what you want to do. So you won't find 10 free spins and you won't find invite-only offers and you won't find bet five, get five kind of bets. Um, now, if someone comes along and says bet 500, get 500, then I'm going to post it. I mean, the days of that ever happening is are, are gone, but there are, there are the occasional things that you can do with advantage play that involve um, arbitrage and hedging where it would kind of be stupid not to do it. Some of the red zone stuff and the sports nation stuff and definitely the two up offer at bet three, six, five, the early payout stuff. I'm going to have an early payout calculator. It's such high value that it would be stupid to do it. But yeah, a daily calendar. No, I'm not having it right. We're going to be very busy on Saturdays and big festivals and World Cups and, uh, and Champions League nights as we always are. And we're looking at the William Hill shop offers in those days. There are days when there's like a Portuguese Segunda match on and a one French Coupe de France game and that's it. And William Hill is squeezing out some offers and there may be a little bit of value somewhere, but in terms of a reward versus time, I'm not going to do it. So on this particular Monday, when this uh, just after Christmas, when this person was talking to me, where's the daily calendar offer? Well, there's nothing on today. There's nothing at least of high value on today. I'm not going to sit around and find all the really low-value stuff because that's not going to be beneficial for me. And if that's what you're after, you know, you may have come to the wrong place. The person did decide that they had come to the wrong place, and uh, that's fine as well. Not before saying, um, 
that um, one of the greatest humble brags I ever heard, which was, um, I have a mate who is an actual admin in a match betting site that is 12,000 members strong. And he has advised me against going to bookie bashing. And um, and, uh, of all the brags I ever heard in my entire life, having a mate who is the admin of a 12,000 strong match betting site is pretty strong. Not going to lie. It is pretty strong. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, that's why we don't do low-value stuff. Things that basically you're not going to make a full-time income out of. I almost toy with the idea of not posting stuff at Skybet as well because of the inevitable gubbing that people are going to get there. But um, um, if people want to share it, that's great for them. Um, And as, as I say, it's not like it's not a viable way of making money. It's just a not viable way for me of making money. So anyway, going against all of that, I've decided that 2019 is a crackeroonie for getting off to the start that it did. Four factors really made a difference to the extreme profits in the weekend. The first was that there was some serious price movement as a lot of money came in. Um, the second was that the Fed traders held those prices. The third that was that the teams that came in in price happened to all be at high odds. I mean, if you've got a slip that pays out 50000 or a slip that pays out 500 The stupid thing about Fred is that if you're betting on all low odds, you would want to have a higher stake, but um, PTL is £300 per bet slip, whether that bet slip returns 500 quid or 50,000 quid. So the, there's a natural advantage on having high odds value bets on those bet slips if you're maxing out the stake size on your bankroll management. Um and then the fourth thing is that the teams, uh, you've got all those three things already in place, the price movement, the prices being held and them being high odds. And then we had the benefit of those teams um, winning as well. So um, got us off to an absolute cracker. I wrote a little blog about the theory behind it after it happened, just trying to capitalize my thoughts, really talking about smart money. If you've never heard this phrase before, smart money is where... Connected individuals, syndicates, and all-round smarty-pants generally get involved in a betting market when they determine that a price is good value. And the imbalance of weight of money in the market will result in the price shortening or steaming, whilst the alternative outcomes in the market will lengthen, drift, and this will balance the book. And the process in which a price shortens significantly is colloquial known as smart money. And the change in the odds due to the smart money is known as the delta change. And that's what smart money is. And it's smart because the early prices in a betting market are developed with a limited amount of information. So as the event start time nears, more information becomes available, which shapes the fair price of the probability of the outcome occurring. Markets become more liquid and more efficient the closer to the start of an event. And this is best witnessed on the exchanges where a lot of smart money will shape the price into the best reflection of the probability of an outcome. And when the price changes on the exchange, the bookmakers will follow and adjust the prices accordingly. Now, the theory goes that smart money is shaping the market due to information that specialists have determined. For example, if a Portuguese Segunda youth expert has determined that the youth player surprisingly included in Cova Paididi's starting 11 has the potential to dramatically improve the probability of the team winning, then who are we to argue? Blindly following smart money has its advantages as we can follow all of the experts in more games than we could possibly study on an individual basis. 
But how smart is it and can it turn a profit? I did some analysis on the 13-14 all the way up to 17-18 seasons using a time machine. And this is following an excellent analytical theory by Joseph Buchdahl, which is do steamers provide an edge analysis from the English one times two footing betting mar- football bet mo- betting market that he wrote in 2014. And so I obtained the early prices of all Premiership, Championship, League One, League Two, and National League games from those five seasons. Um, the early prices were obtained from the Tuesdays and Fridays before the game with an average of up to 57 bookmakers at any one time. And I then obtained the closing price and compared the delta change in every match. So I could work out 8,265 matches where the price steamed in. Now, by cross-referencing these against the result of every match, I calculated a profit loss from betting a strategy of £100 liability on the win for every steamer. And I categorised the steamers into 1% bands up to 10%, with 783 of the matches exhibiting extreme amounts of delta price change where the closing price was over 10% lower than the early price. So the biggest steamer of those five years was Man City versus Brighton on Wednesday the 9th of May 2018, right at the end of last season. The price for Brighton was 21.8 at an average of 43 bookmakers on the Tuesday and the closing price on the Wednesday was 15.2. So the smart money drove that down by like 40%. City won 3-1 with goals of from Danilo. Silva and Fernandinho, so the smart money didn't quite get that one right. But looking at everything that steamed over 5%, well, it would be impractical to bet at the early price on steamers over 5% delta price change because there's no way of knowing what the price change will be at the closing price. But dismissing this lapse in logic for one second, because we've got a time machine, the strategy would have yielded £10,665 profit betting on those games at the early price. If we include 0 to 5%, we actually even had more profit, which was £13,225 profit. What's going on there? Why are we getting more profit for teams that don't steam as much? You'd think if a team steamed loads, it would be more profit. Perhaps... Prices are steaming too far. In fact, if you look at the extreme steamers, over 10%, that is one of the worst average profits per bet. It is still a profit, but only £2.59 per bet. Whereas, you know, betting at 3 to 4% yielded £12.8 per bet. So... There's kind of an argument that the the teams that steam loads and loads and loads, they're almost steaming too far, and the price um, is overcompensating for something in the market. Um, Looking at all games together, we would have staked £400,000 on these steamers. Betting at the closing price would have yielded a minor loss of £1,480. Betting at the early price, which is essentially what we're doing on these coupons, um, would have yielded £24,000 profit from £400,000 stake with an average bet of £33 on on each team. So £24,000 profit from £33 bets over those five years sounds good to me and it suggests why we might be making some money in the 2018-19 season. What if I send them the tape and they don't like it? I mean, what if they say I'm no good? 
What if they say, get out of here, kid? You got no future. I mean, I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. Looking at the forums, um, Spurge made 7,413 on the weekend. Um, who was the... Who was the other one? Um, Mazd made 2,100. So plenty of people... Like, we were all in it together. We all made a decent amount on the FA Cup because we were all on the same team. So that was awesome. Um, going to collect on the Sunday was fun. Um, didn't leave it too long after the Oldham game before going and collecting. But then down there, so you, I took Jen and the kids because we were going to get dinner down there. And then in the car park, of course, there's some, um, the Betfred car park down in Worcester is just lovely because they've got, um, first of all, the guys drinking booze and smoking weed, um, just sitting around on the curb. And actually, to be fair, I've never really got too much of a problem with skag eggs sitting around making nuisance of themselves, drinking beer, smoking weed, as long as they're not offending anyone. But it's slightly different when your wife and your young family are just sat there as well. And I wanted to be in and out, but of course, it then takes um, a phone call to head office. And um, I suspect there were a few other people, perhaps bookie bashers, doing the same thing. And um, it just took... Um, little bit longer than was comfortable to get that payout on um, Sunday, but all good in the end. Um, uh, before we leave the football as well, we had a um, couple of other decent games in the three weeks that we have been off, a couple of other decent days. The first was um, Boxing Day, which is a day that I spent traveling down from Scotland to England three hours down the road. Uh, it was Double Delight Boxing Day, which is nice. Um, one for the muggers. Anyway, Obemiang, uh, I suspect these were all in play. It's so long since Boxing Day, I've forgotten if they were in play or pre-match, but let's just say they were in play. Um, Obemiang was 5-2, to 3.5 to back. His last price match before the game started was 3.8. That's insane value. That's really, really good if you can get on early in the game away to get against Brighton and Hove Albion. And Obemiang is just one of those players we've talked before. He's susceptible to price contraction. And he got the first goal of the game against Brighton in the seventh minute. Um, didn't get a second, but still a decent payout at 5-2. to two. Even better than that, though, on the same day, later in the evening, Chelsea were away to Watford. Two away games. Hazard, pre-match, his last price match before the game was 4.4. He was 3-1 to one in play, double delight hat-trick heaven. And again, that's insanely good. Um, uh, he scored the first goal of the game and got a penalty. Always worthwhile getting on penalty takers for double delight hat-trick heaven. They can occasionally be higher odds, but they're always in with a shout um, to get a goal in the game. So Hazard's odds were boosted from 3-1 to one to 6-1. to one. There you go. Chelsea's main striker, top scorer, away to Watford, and we get 6-1 to one on him on um, uh, Boxing Day. Um, and um, it had been a while, I think, since I ha actually hit the double delight of a double delight. I think, anyway. I, I forget about these things rather quickly. Um, but Boxing Day was very decent for us. And then three days after Boxing Day, so we had the, the glory of Boxing Day just after Christmas, and then between Christmas and New Year, in no man's land, when you don't know what, quite what you meant to do with yourself, it's not quite Christmas and it's not quite New Year's either, the 29th of December, um, there was a load of value flying around. I think Betfred did a blog treble of Brighton, Fulham and Liverpool. Um, well, Brighton beat Everton, 
Fulham beat Huddersfield and Liverpool beat Arsenal 5-1. And that was 12-1 to and it was value. It was up in the tracker as well. Um, slightly similar bets. Liverpool Hearts and Napoli was 13-2 and that was 7.5 to back. A fair price would have been 6.8 at Ladbrokes, which also came in. Liverpool winning both teams to score was 2-1, to which was value at Fed. Liverpool winning over 3.5. So all of these things, like the score being 5-1, to Arsenal that brought in all four mugs there now there's technically a problem with um, exclusivity there if you want to be strict bankroll management um, you don't want to be overexposed on Liverpool because you don't want to be placing a bet at the maximum of your Kelly or your calculation or however you do it and, and have Brighton full and Liverpool have Liverpool Hearts Napoli, have Liverpool win in BTTS, have Liverpool win in over 3.5, and then that game finish nil-nil, because all bets lose. But if you're betting comfortably underneath um, Kelly or your bankroll, then, which I do advise, um, especially on days when there's going to be a lot of um, teams featuring in different bets, then... Um, uh, what happens there is Liverpool win the game 5-1 and all of those bets come in at the same time. It's such a nice feeling, especially when it's the evening game as well. And it's set up a crackerjack finish to the year. So um, the next day, Sunday the 30th of December, um, there was some serious profit on the NFL as well so i posted up in the forum i haven't done a lot of these these season we have an edge on half time full time uh, not just in nfl but in rugby as well so there are advantages in betting in half time and half time full time markets of rugby in the nfl and circumstances where the price has been overestimated and to this day i'm always amazed that the price is overestimated uh, these prices are found both at the bookmaker and at the exchange um so our advantage play game is to find the conditions where the price is in our favour. Because NFL and rugby are similar. They are high-scoring games and averages about 44 to 45 points per game in both sports. Now, I've mentioned it before, but this season, that average in the NFL has gone up. I haven't actually kept abreast of how much it's gone up by, but I think it's gone up by a couple of points, and that's made a big difference. There were changes to the rules that protect the quarterback from all of these concussion injuries that the NFL... Um, and brain injuries that sort of retired NFL players are starting to see. And so there are now more penalties uh, um, um, applied when you rush the quarterback and sack him. And that means that the quarterback is having fewer opportunities to pass the ball. And it means that there are lower scores in NFL games. Um so this season, we haven't seen as many opportunities. But where there are low-scoring games, we are able to take advantage um, because if you think about the permutations of an NFL game, there's only really 0, 3, 7, or 10 points per team if there's only going to be 20 points in a half and the teams are equally matched against each other. And let's just ignore missed, um, unconverted touchdowns just now. So, really, the game could very feasibly be 0 0 3 3 7 7 or 10 10 at half time. There aren't that many other scores when there's only going to be 40 points in the whole match that it could be. Uh, that's like 25% of the scoring outcomes at half time, approximately. I'm massively oversimplifying this, but even if I'm massively oversimplifying it, we should be looking at 3 to 1 chance of a draw at half time. We're frequently getting 10 to 1 or higher in places. So, I. Uh, 
These places, by the way, what are we looking for? We're looking for low scoring prediction. We're looking for relatively even matched teams. We're looking for adverse weather conditions, which certainly come down in December when there's a lot of um, sleet, snow, heavy rain, strong wind. We're looking at high pressure games at the end of the season. We're looking at injuries to key offensive players. So one of those games, as such, was the Dolphins, who were looking to qualify against the Bills, and there was a lot of snow in Buffalo. The halftime draw was 9-1 to at Ladbrokes, Coral, and 8-8 group, and the halftime full-time draw was um, for the draw at halftime, and the Bills at full-time uh, was 18-1 to at Boyles. So I posted up that this would be a decent game to get involved with, um, there are others out there. I'm not looking all the time every week, but I had a little bit of time this Sunday. Um, it didn't look actually likely when Buffalo went 14-0 up in the first quarter because, remember, we're taking advantage of this because it's meant to be a low-scoring game and 14 points to Buffalo in the first quarter is not low-scoring. Amazingly, Miami got 14 points in three minutes towards the end of the first half. And I'm not going to lie, it was lucky. But um, for every time that we're lucky, as we said previously, there was a time where we were unlucky. Uh, we just put ourselves into the position where we could make some money. And it was 14 all at half time. Buffalo went out 42 14 winners, getting 14 points in the first, third, and fourth quarters for that 18 to 1 to come in. Hands up if you weren't on it. Me. I posted it. And then ended up going to the pub and watching the darts uh, and forgot to get on it myself. But I'm glad that others did in the forum. That's the only thing that counts. Although it doesn't quite work saying for everyone that I don't post, I do get on because if I don't post it, I haven't got on it. But still, I'm not going to get on 100%. And I'm glad if you did. Also, there was the 23rd of December. That was one of those days where those William Hill NFL put... Um, Bets that they push out, they had the Eagles and the Saints and more than 100 points at 9-2. to two. Um, Well, the Phillies won 32-30 against the Texans, so already we've got 62 points from that game. We only need 38 points from the Saints game and a Saints victory. The Saints pretty much got 38 points themselves, but they just squeezed past the Pittsburgh Steelers in the late game, and that one came in. And then Bears, Vikings, and Saints. Was it Coral? Was it 4.5, 7-2? And 3.3 fair market price. And it never looked in danger. What a weird bet for Coral to put up. And they put it up on like the Thursday. And these games are on the Sunday. So Chicago, um, they beat the San Francisco 49ers 14-9. The Vikings, they won 27-9. And as discussed, the Saints squeezed past the Steelers. And that one came in. And the only thing about that is that it went up at Matchbook. And so I wanted to get hundreds on it at Matchbook. And it was 4.5, 3.3. So the back was 3.0 and the lay was 4.4 for like a couple of quid. So I put up 600 quid, I think, at 4.2. And someone immediately jumped in at 4.1. So I was like, okay, all right, okay, okay. So what will happen if I go to 4? He immediately went to 3.9. What happens if I go to 3.8? He'll immediately go to 3.7. What happens if I go to 3.6? He immediately went to 3.5. So I left him at 3.5 and I just left the market. Because now if he's getting 3.5, 0% commission, it's just 3.5 to back, 3.3 delay. The guy just sits there forever. So he leapfrogged me all the way down to 3.5 and then just allowed the arbors from Coral to snipe him off. I'm like, what are you doing, mate? If you just wait your time, we could both get 4.1, 4.2 instead of your 3.5. We'll both get it. You just have to be patient. There's like three days until the game goes. 
but he sat there and selfishly took all the money himself and cut his own nose off despite in spite of his face and the fact that it won actually i would have rather it didn't win and that guy didn't make any money but that's just me pdc darts came to a finish um that ridiculous noise by the way that's the cat again in the background i thought i'd locked you out right cat's back um so yeah uh, michael van gerwen beat michael smith uh, 4-0 up in the final. Uh, then went 7-3. I had them, though they were both pre-tipped pre-tournament in various places. A lot of bookmakers pushed out Michael Van Gerwen um, thinking that he wasn't valued for the tournament. And a lot, I saw a lot of smart money, a lot of tips to say to go against him. Um, but he took the title. You do wonder if he won the title or if everybody else lost. Um, yeah, everyone was saying that Anderson Van Gerwen in the semi was perhaps the final because, you know, Gwyn Price versus Michael Smith in the other semi was a result of the lopsided nature of the draw. We um, my, um, Fans of boosts and pushed prices cleaned up because Van Gerwen went as far as 2-1 to one pre-tournament. There was also Van Gerwen to win and not a 9-data, which was a better particularly liked. It had a lot of synergy which with what was being promoted at Betting Emporium. Um, the no 9-data being in a, in a lopsided market where all the weight of money comes for yes. And so if the bookmakers are offering an imbalance there, then that by the nature, the no is good value. It never looked like it was in danger throughout the tournament. I think seven darts was as good as we got seven of the nine. I wouldn't say it was a vintage for quality, but there was a lot of excitement over the tournament. Um, so an interesting tweet. If you don't follow... Christopher Kempf at Okipedia, O-C-H-E-Pedia, P-E-D-I-A, should. Works, I think he works for the PDC. Um, he produces statistics which are just gloriously represented in graphical form. One of the things he did was um, a bar chart, a stacked bar chart of the PDC players' double preferences as a percentage of all stage doubles attempted in 2018. And so he lists all the players from Michael Smith to Van Gerwen to Barney to Rob Cross um, and the percentage of times they hit a bullseye um, a double 20, 10 or 5 a double 18 or 9 16, 8 or 4 a 40 or 7, you see where I'm going here so it's like the number of times that they hit each double or if they the route that they're going, so if they miss that double whether they take the dart on next and so uh, what's interesting about this is there are players out there, such as Michael Smith, who just go for double 20, double 10, or double 5, like 70% of the time. So they obviously love the double 20, double 10 route, whereas Rob Cross, world champion, or ex-world champion, only 22% of the time. That's, that's crazy when Michael Smith is 70%. Um, James Richardson only goes for the bull 1% of the time compared to somebody like Stephen Bunting who does it 6%. So obviously James Richardson not very confident on his double hitting. Um, 
Suljovic will go double 14 or double 7 a whopping 17% of the time, where many players down this list will go 1% or even um, James Richardson, who will go 0% of the time, double 14, double 7. Um, uh, and then there are players out there who never get to double 2, double 1, such as Jamie Lewis. Perhaps that's because they're double hitting on double 16, 8 and 4 is so good that they're, they're never in the doghouse. But, um... This it's just this kind of graphical representation has really made me it's pushed me to want to sort of do this for bookie bashing just to get, find an edge I mean we do a lot of these William Hill shop bets of the 30 or so that they post there's a good number of them that I have no idea what the value is because there's no way of benchmarking it unless we have big data and we can represent that data very quickly in succinct summarial graphical form so um, it's sort of encouraged me down the route of perhaps finding a lot of big data and seeing if we can do some tasty graphs in the manner of Christoph Kemp from Wikipedia. Um, and by doing that, perhaps we can find some new edges and some new value throughout 2019. That's just an idea I had anyway. We'll see where that goes. Okay, guys, that's enough for the first half of this first Bashcast of 2019. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
welcome back to the Bashcast. It's time by the Pachanga Boys. From 2011. good version of that when uh, Lee Burge drops it at Burning Man Festival. There's a video clip on, on YouTube worth tuning into. It's amazing. I was thinking of Burning Man this summer because it timed itself well after the WSOP. My wife's cousin, um, my wife's 28-year-old cousin who likes posting naked photographs of herself on Facebook from her nature days. It's disgusting, I tell you. Absolutely terrible activity. Um, she's extolling the virtues of her trip to Burning Man last year, and it looks like an amazing place. So it's definitely on my to-do list for 2019. Whether it'll be the same festival with the kids, well... What's the damage, right? What's the worst that can happen? In the bookie bashing news, off the bat for 2019, this is a story that was going on through December, don't know if you saw it? Two professional poker players, Rich Alati and Rory Young, had a prop bet that really whipped up a lot of conversation amongst the poker community. So, these guys are sort of mid to high stakes poker pros. I think I read somewhere they were resident at the Venetian or something like that. Definitely Las Vegas poker pros. And so they were known to each other. They would sit with each other for quite a long time with money going back and forward between the two of them. And so, as poker players do, they came up with a prop bet between each other to sort of pass the time. So the prop bet was a bet of $100,000 that Richelati could live inside a dark bathroom for 30 days. Now, you might think, that doesn't sound very hard, but there were some stipulations to this bet. So they can cut... Essentially, it's an isolation scheme. After Rory Young had a what-if moment one day when the two were waiting for a poker table in Las Vegas, and Rory Young asked if it would be possible for someone to live in a dark, confined space for 30 days... Um, there would be arrangements for schedule food deliveries, but other than that, there would be no. As time goes, there would be no means of telling the time. Um, there would be food delivered. But because it was dark in the bathroom and there was no light bulb and there was no window, um, there would be no way of knowing what day you were on. So you might be two days in and you might not, you wouldn't know if it was day or night. I mean, you've got obviously got a sleeping pattern, but if you fall asleep and wake up, how long do you think has gone by? Two, two hours, six hours, eight hours? 
And uh, what are you going to do? Just sat there. You can't read anything. There's no light. You know? There's not that much that you can do. Um... The deal garnered attention worldwide and was called many things, few of them positive. (laughs) Crazy, quirky, and interesting are among the safest responses, I guess. Um, There were some serious discussions on the risks involved. So Dr. Stuart Grassian, who has studied solitary confinement and has testified before the U.S. Supreme Court on the matter said the risk is a little different because he has the opportunity to get out, so it's not the same as solitary confinement. But he could start hallucinating. He could start feeling paranoid. There is a risk of suicide. You'd have to hope that if he got mentally sick in there, he would recognise it and get out rather than continuing to plunge deeper into mental illness. At the very least, I think it's a very stupid and crazy thing to do, said Grassian. So the question is, would you do this for 100000 I don't know. Um, I might. In fact, I had... It depends how much you need the money. This is the weird thing about this story. You see, if you've got no money and you really need 100000 and you're of, you're mentally stable, I wonder how difficult it would be. When I didn't have a lot of money, this is in my sort of latter years of my postgraduate when I was juggling study and a job at the same time I had no money in fact I was seriously indebted raised debt up to my eyeballs to stay in university for longer than I should have done not earning any money and so I concocted a bet that I thought would get some interest in the company I was working for where I said um, I'll leave work on a Friday night and I'll handcuff myself to the radiator in a basement with nothing but water and food delivery until the Monday morning. So, um, and I, part of my prop bet was I didn't mind if the same song was on repeat for the entire time and somebody else could choose the song. So I'm not going to choose like my favourite song and put it on repeat. Which is probably a good thing because I, th- I would ruin my favourite song if I listened to it on repeat for like 60 hours or however long it would be. And so what I said is that I bet this even money and um, if I could raise a £1,000 amongst numerous different sources, then I would go ahead and take on the prop bet. Um, and uh, as I recall, the conversation went all the way up to board level. I heard there were people, and this is a large company, 25,000 people, international company. And like the board, I got feedback the board were talking about this prop bet and whether I would succeed or not. And I did raise 600 to 700, 650 quid, as I remember, but I wasn't going to do it for less than 1,000. And in those days, that meant a lot to me because I didn't have any money. I was in debt. I had negative money. So these days, I wouldn't do it for 1,000. And I wouldn't do it, I do, I wouldn't do it for 10,000. Now, would I do 30 days for 100,000 US dollars, which is what, 75 to 80,000 pounds? It's close. I might. I think I might. And I think I'm probably mentally strong enough to do it. I don't I don't suffer from depression or anxiety or anything like that. So, um, like, if I was down, if I was uh, in a dark place or a bad place or stressed, then it's a different thing because you worry about whether you can cope with it. But in all honesty, 30 days, I would just... It's all about keeping yourself mentally stable. I remember, I, I like playing um, 
or I used to like playing before life was a lot more busy. I like playing like mental gymnastic games. So one thing is, um, can I memorize, what's the longest digit number I can memorize? I used to be able to memorize 100 plus digit numbers because there's a little trick. You can, you can code the number. So let's say the number starts off 0, 1, 2, 3. Well, 0, 1's an A. 2, 3 would be a different letter. So say a, a, say a B. And then I go A, B um, is the initials for Antonio Banderas. So I've got A, B, Antonio Banderas. You start playing a game in your mind where Antonio Banderas is doing an action, like catching a ball. So you've got A, B, C, B, Antonio Banderas catching a ball. And you can sort of, instead of remembering the 100-digit number, now I'm just looking at a story in my head. And by looking at a story in my head, I can remember a lot more of people and stories than I can, you know, just random digits. So it's just a memory trick. So you, and you can ask people to do this. You can, um, you can take items on a table or just a string of letters or a string of numbers and you can memorize them by encoding them into a story and remembering the story. And I would just think I would, that's what I would do for 30 days or however long I needed. You know what I mean? You, the last thing you would want to do is, um, you, um, uh, start counting down how much time there is left anyway in mid-december uh, i think it was the second of december they started the bet um for so again 30 days for a hundred thousand dollars um oh there were a couple more rules he had to live inside a dark unlit bathroom he wasn't allowed any human interaction or entertainment outside of a paddle ball and a rubik's cube you get really good at the Rubik's cube, wouldn't you? Additionally, you couldn't be pa- you couldn't pass the time with sleeping aids, alcohol, or drugs, which is again probably a good thing. Um, well, there's an article here and on Calvin Air, and fair play to Eric Gibbs for coming up with the ti- this title to the article. Again, there's not that much things you can do in a dark room by yourself for thirty days, and Richard Latty did bring an end to the bet after only 10 days, and the title of this article is Alati Can't Pull It Off Calls Off Bathroom Prop Bet. Very good. Eric Gibbs. So apparently the pressure got too much, and he called it quits on the prop bet, um, but did settle for $62,400. Alati pulled out Monday night after he and Young began making arrangements during a scheduled food delivery. It apparently wasn't Alati's decision to end the bet. Darren Rovell of the Action Network points out that Young negotiated a deal to help Alati see the light. In addition to earning the $62,000, Alati will also have all expenses paid by Young. When all the money is counted and the debts settled, Young will more than likely only be out about $42,000. I don't know how $20,000 worth of expenses. Perhaps, perhaps it's lost time from playing poker. And it says here, the prop bet was probably doomed to fail at the start. Previous studies that date back to at least 1951 have shown that solitary confinement was virtually impossible to maintain for long periods of time. In general, anything more than the week is unheard of. So there you go. My willy-nilly attitude to be able to say that I can easily do that is dismissed in this one second. I almost certainly don't understand the extremities. 
of this bet. What else have we got in the news? A man in California has been accused of stealing his roommate's $10 million lottery ticket. California police have arrested a man accused of stealing a winning $10 million, that is £7.8 million, lottery ticket from his roommate as he slept. Vacaville police say Adul Sausangyang, 35 years old, was taken into custody as he attempted to claim the prize on Monday. That's definitely not the prize he was expecting, they wrote on Facebook. Of course, the Vacaville police wrote that on Facebook. On Tuesday, after the suspect was charged with grand theft and booked into jail, police say the winner has yet to receive any of his winnings. So police in Vacaville, about 35 miles outside of Sacramento, detailed the man's alleged plot against his now former roommate. They say the victim, who was not identified by the police, purchased a $30, that's right, $30 scratch-off ticket at a lucky grocery store on the 20th of December with hopes of winning a little extra cash for the holidays. The man, who mistakenly thought he had won $10,000 at first, returned home and shared the wonderful news with his two roommates. He went to collect his fortune the next day but was told the lottery ticket was not a winner. Suspecting that his roommate had swapped it, he immediately called the police to report the theft. The following day, his roommate Mr. Sousing Yang reported to the lottery's Sacramento district office where investigators began their routine investigation as they do with all winnings over $600. As part of the review process, lottery investigators visited the Lucky Grocery Store, very lucky, where they were informed that the ticket may have been stolen. They contacted police and together determined Mr. Sousing Yang purchased a similar scratch-off card, altered it and swapped it with the winning ticket whilst his roommate was sleeping. On Monday, Mr. Sousing Yang was invited to come collect his stolen winnings, investigators say. But instead of him celebrating his big win, he was arrested. Police say the winner has not yet received his windfall as the lottery completes their investigation. So here's what Vacaville police um, said on Facebook. That on Monday, January the 7th, the lottery investigator invited Adul to the Sacramento district office to collect his winnings, but instead of celebrating the big wing, he was arrested by Vacaville TPD detectives who obtained an arrest for his warrant for grand theft. He was booked into Sacramento County Jail and will be transferred to Solano County Jail later this week. Rough. <laughs> what a rough ride. You go from thinking you've nicked $10,000 to thinking you've nicked $10 million to jail. I'm going to stick to bookie bashing. Uh, are there any edges anywhere? Jeremy Hilsacorp is a hard-working family man from Tennessee who uh, loves the game of poker, but a trip to Las Vegas for the biggest poker festival in the world always seemed a little out of reach. His wife, Randy, however, Randy, it's a picture of her, um, decided to make his dream come true Christmas morning. She surprised her husband with the ultimate gift, plane tickets to Vegas, hotel accommodation at the Rio, 
and a ticket to play in the World Series of Poker. If you ever play in the World Series of Poker, getting accommodation in the Rio, you got to book it months in advance. But it is actually really helpful. I remember, like, when I, at the main, not a couple of summers ago, I had a break, and the break was two hours long, and I spent half an hour waiting for a taxi, and then the taxi took me an hour in the wrong direction because I um, couldn't understand my British accent, and then I had to go back to the Rio, and by the time the whole farce was done, I, I was sat down after the break, ready for like another six-hour stint in the main. And so at that point, I was like, the next time I'm coming, I'm staying in walking distance from the Rio or in the Rio. And like nowhere's walking distance from the Rio in June or July because it's 120 degrees. Anyway, Jeremy was overcome with emotion after the thoughtful gift. Check his reaction below. It's actually worth um, Googling like wife surprises husband or with WSOP or wife surprises WSOP or something like that because the video's worth it. It's a bit rubbish to record for the Bashcast. I just tried, in fact. And the thing is, he's like overcome with emotion, but he's overcome with emotion physically. He doesn't say very much in the video. So it's like, or <laughs> you hear is rustling paper. Here, let's see what I can do. There's him opening the thing, looking at the piece of paper. And then breaking down and sobbing uncontrollably into his lap. So there you go. That's a nice story. Um, now, there you go. That could have been the end of it. And it would have made for an amazing and unforgettable holiday if it was. But after seeing this video on Twitter, the poker world responded with even more generosity to give him the ultimate experience. In addition to getting a personal welcome message from the WSOP, hooray for that, numerous other companies stepped up with offers for poker cho coaching and training products. Some players even asked to buy pieces of Jeremy's action, hoping he could extend his summer trip with a couple more tournaments. And then, thanks to the efforts of the poker personality Joey Ingram, Poker stars agreed to chip in an incredible $30,000 platinum pass to the $25,000 buy-in tournament this January at the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure in the Bahamas. I ask you, what the hell is he going to do with that? Right. <laughs> this is obviously someone that's going and playing a $1,500 or $2,500 tournament means so much to him that he's going to break down and cry. And that's really nice. It's what a nice story it is. But you're going to give him a $25,000 buy-in tournament ticket? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you've only got, I don't know how much money this guy got. Let's say he's got $5,000 in the bank. Okay? Could be less. I think the average savings in America is less than $5,000. So he hasn't been able to afford to go to WSOP before. It could be $2,000. Now you're in a $25,000 tournament and you're on the bubble. And the min cash is $40,000. What are you going to do? Are you going to play optimal poker strategy? Of course you're not. You're going to fold like a cheap whore and just crawl over the line with every fibre of your being. Um, so I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure as well if you just offered him the $25,000, he might take that instead. Or even a small percentage of that if there was a cash value offered. 
But um, listen, the only thing that I wished is that uh, if I was in the Bahamas and I could somehow make it onto his table if he was approaching the bubble, because then that's free money, isn't it? Okay. What's coming up? Um, it, January, there is no Champions League. I forgot. I forgot there was no Champions League. Or was the Champions League last year in January and now they've just shifted it back to February? I don't know. But it is a, it's a month of cup replays and so on and so forth. So, okay, that's just what it is. We're going to get used to. Premier League on um, Saturday. Chelsea are going to get thrashed when they face Newcastle at home at 5.30pm. Um, Liverpool are away to Brighton, Hove Albion, Arsenal are away to West Ham. So those three teams, Arsenal, Liverpool and Newcastle, should ship some goals on Saturday. I have seen that over 130 goals is 3-1 to one at William Hill. Now, some of these William Hill shot bets recently have been amazing value and some of them have been terrible value. And um, it, with the goals bet, it's quite difficult to work out without liquidity. Um, we can benchmark against sporting index, and if they're offering evens or something around evens, it's actually you can you know if it's plus, plus EV or not. When they move away from evens, three to one and higher, um, we're sort of reliant on liquidity, and liquidity we don't have yet. I don't think it's going to be good in some weekends, it has been. And by the way, how many weekends have they hit it on the nose? By the way, like last night they had over 26 goals. There was exactly 26 goals, so that's not a winner. Um, and other days they've had over 45 goals, and there's been exactly 45 goals. I feel like William Hill have been slightly lucky. I really do. Um, so I don't think this over 130 goals is going to be good this weekend, but it could be. It might be. There's a couple of weekends ago there was a I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be good, and then I rechecked a few hours before the game, and all of a sudden. It was good. So it'd be nice to get this automated one day. We might do, but um, it's a it's a complicated process getting this over goals model automated. And until we can, it's a manual process of checking value. Also as well, um, there's the super boost wheel that they do between 5 and 6 p.m. on weekdays. They do it four times, 5 o'clock, 5.15, 5.30, 5.45, making it, A, difficult for anyone to get on. You pretty much got to be willing to camp out and shop between five and six p.m. and b difficult to work it out because some of them are really obscure and anything with the word corner or card in it, especially a team to have corner, or a team to have card, it's it's super difficult to work out very quickly. However, they are doing a hundred percent boost. This wheel goes around, you get a hundred percent boost, and they pick one of the boosts during the day. Now, not every one hundred percent boost is going to be good. Some of their so-called offers are so bad they're not even 50% EV. And when they're under 50% EV, a 100% boost isn't good enough to make it good. Saying that, we can't check them all. Especially 5 to 6 p.m. I'm doing nursery run and things are happening with the kids and people are busy. Like, there's a believe me, there's a group of us in a WhatsApp thread that analyze and determine these bets. And between 5 and 6 p.m. on a weekday, Sometimes we're all busy, and that just is what it is. <laughs> it's a busy time for people. Um, but if it's 100%, I, th I think it's a positive expectation strategy just to get on every single one of them blindly. And my, my theory here is that the odd negative EV1 will crop in, but I'd rather get on 
50 100% boosts and 45 of them were positive expectation and five of them were negative expectation than get on three of them because I'd sat down and worked them out and been confident in the answer. So many 100% boosts are good. It's probably worthwhile just getting on them all. And yeah, you get a negative expectation bet creep in there. What's there? What's going to happen? It's not the end of the world. It could even win as well. Don't worry too much about betting on negative expectation bets. As long as they're the minority, it's fine to do them. It keeps the interest levels high. So with 100% boosts, um, uh, if you were in William Hill and you saw them, I would do them blindly. Maybe not the 75%, certainly not the 50%, right? A lot of the 50% aren't good. Um, so I wouldn't do them with 50 and I wouldn't really do them with 75 either. But with 100, you might get away with it. So, yeah. Everton-Bournemouth on Sunday. Spurs-Manchester United is going to be a good game on Sunday afternoon. So uh, next week it's going to be the FA Cup third round replays. Woohoo! Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of like January is quite dry just now for the football. That's for sure. The NFL season, however, will be drawing to a close this month. We've got um, Indianapolis, Kansas on uh, Sunday, Saturday evening. Um, Kansas look like they're going to progress from that. Dallas Cowboys, Rams, Chargers, Patriots, Eagles and Saints all on Sunday evening. I think it's going to be Chiefs versus the Saints in the Super Bowl final. Um but the games are becoming fewer and f- further between. And I always have tinged of sadness that a sort of income stream has then left us until September. But, but we've got so much coming on this year. April's going to be busy. We've got the Grand National and then the, immediately afterwards, the Masters. Um, the Masters Golf Tournament kicks us off for the golf for the year. And we're going to try and have a suite of golf models ready for then, touch wood. We were talking, I think there's at least three and it could be more. Um, That's the idea. And then the following month, the Cricket World Cup starts on the 30th of May, climaxing on the 15th of July, the day after the Wimbledon final. So that weekend we're going to have the Wimbledon final and then we're going to have the Cricket World Cup with Andy Murray on the Sunday uh, (laughs) and then England on the Monday, perhaps. Uh, And then we're going to have that summer of joy and love throughout july for another heat wave just enjoying the golf the um, the, the open at royal port rush this year before august starts which will be england australia ashes and just as that finishes on the 16th of september the rugby union world cup begins in japan um so for, for an for an odd numbered year there's quite a few decent sporting events on this year that's for sure whatever it is that you're betting on do make sure it's value it's good to be back for 2019 and um, we should be back for a few weeks consecutively in a row now at least until mid-February this is Tom signing out this is big that's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life that's insane can you